0: Glass, ice, pour. Welcome to Whiskey and Rye. I am your host, Ryan Charles-Brown. For this episode, we're going to be picking up where we left off with my interview with Dr. Carolyn Heldman. Right before we left off, Dr. Heldman was sharing about some of the up-and-coming politicians that are really making waves and helping to reshape uh, the way that masculinity is portrayed in politics. And uh, we're gonna then move that discussion into some historical context. And we close our conversation with Dr. Heldman giving some advice on how men can be better and show up uh, better, healthier your men in dismantling toxic masculinity. So let's jump right back into it. Here we are with Dr. Carolyn Heldman. How do we change that narrative again to like, hey, this isn't okay, actually, uh, especially if it looks like maybe this president could be elected again in 2020. I mean, let's, it, it, let's just be honest. It could, it could happen. So how do we weather four more years of this hyper-masculinity in a time where we're trying to bring back accountability?
1: Well, I think that that the approval ratings for Trump show that a lot of Americans are just as concerned as you are, Ryan, right? And it, it's yeah. a, it's a slippery slope because we are a country that um, is built upon uh, a core value of free speech. And Donald Trump has certainly emboldened racism and sexism. Um, he's brought it out of hiding. It was always there. Yeah. Uh, people of color and women, I mean, it, we can attest to the fact that it's... What what's new is not um, its existence, the existence of those beliefs, but what's new is that they're now being publicly shared. He's emboldened it, essentially. Um, what is also new, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, is a dramatic increase in hate crimes based upon identities that Trump has targeted. And so. Mm. Um, it's not just, you know, the emboldening of speech, it's also the emboldening of actions and, of course, the murder of Heather Heyer um, and the yep. the homegrown um, white terrorist, white male terrorists who have aggrieved entitlement, which is this great term um, that sociologists came up with it, that really expresses what's going on here. I mean, essentially... Donald Trump is the president of aggrieved entitlement, right? So, uh, this is wow. the idea that um, you're born into the world as a white man, um, and you believe that you are entitled to a superior social position to, to women and people of color. And when you don't automatically get that, or you feel like your a position that you think you are entitled to is challenged, then you engage. Then you're aggrieved, right? You feel as though something yeah. you were owed has been taken away and so Donald Trump um, you know has given voice to a group entitlement like no other person in the American context and so we, we do see not only the the emboldened um, rhetoric hateful rhetoric but also hateful actions some of which result in and murderous you know the murder of of other human beings and if, um as a country I and in some sense I'm glad that he's brought this out into the open so we can address it um, but it's really a, a painful process, and it's it's caused me to lose a lot of um, faith in millions of Americans, people I I felt unified with because of, you know, the label of being an American. But I see that, you know, I people who are intolerant who believe that other Americans aren't true Americans, to me, I don't feel a kinship with those people.
0: Mm. Yeah. You know, um, as you're talking and as you bring up sociology and and, you know um, all of the the narrative, I my background is in psychology and I've always said that if I were to if I had the ability to go back and 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 jump in a time machine, I would uh, I would change my major from sociology, excuse me, from psychology to sociology, and I would have gotten a master's, maybe even a Ph.D. in studying gang culture because I'm very interested in how community is formed. And I'm very interested in this idea of a sense of belonging. and I think what uh, you know listening to a lot of the things that you've said uh, both in the work that you've done you know in the stuff that we've not talked about politics, uh, I think it's related to even the political things about um, giving people a voice, uh, giving people a sense of community and a place to a place to belong brought things out of hiding. Um, you know I think I think I, I agree with you in that I'm thankful that we have uh, had these things exposed, because I think what the current administration is exposing is really how um, lonely and how sad and how much uh, people in our country are craving community, because that's the thing that I've noticed as we're two years removed from the election. To me, the people who have stayed in the Pro 45 camp and will stay in that camp, I don't think they feel confident to leave it now because I feel they will, they feel in their mind there's a fear of isolation. If I abandon this camp, I can't go to the Hillary camp or I can't go to the Bernie camp or I'm not independent. What am I? I'm going to vote for Jill Stein, you know, I, you, whatever that looks like. Um, I don't feel that they feel confident. And so I, I wonder. I wonder too if if this um, this this idea of community, even though it's built around something negative, if this idea of community has actually provided something positive for people, it's just been kind of shown in a negative in a negative way. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: We certainly, as human beings, uh, fundamentally seek connection with other human beings, right? I mean, it's, we,
0: yeah, whatever field
1: you're studying—psychology, sociology in political science, right? We we know yeah. this to be a fundamental truth, and so I, I think there's there's an awful lot of accuracy in what you're, you're saying about community, right? That, and and then the the use of of community, the us versus them, right? The yeah, um, wanting to be in your camp. I I hope for the sake of my Republican friends who are, you know, frankly pretty upset. Uh, many of them upset at how Trump's um, put policies into place not necessarily the policies themselves although some of them are you know uh, there is not universal support certainly if you look at polls um but but looking at, at my republican friends i hope that their the party provides some relief i hope the party runs a candidate um, as, as somebody who's studying you know electoral politics i know it's highly unlikely that that anyone will actually best trump in the primaries um because incumbent right. just you know and, unless he is Indicted or impeached, or I mean, even even if he were indicted or impeached, I think the the us versus them is so entrenched with with enough Republicans that he would still get the nomination. But uh, mm-hmm. it would be great if they had they had another alternative because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone really likes the lack of competency in, in the White House, right? So it, take partisanship out of it. Just be the incompetence of not knowing mm-hmm. where countries are and uh, on. on during you know security briefings and um, you know not having having such high turnover and not understanding how international treaties work and I'm mean, just or or the economy works or or yeah. you know basic science climate change it, yeah it, it's got to be frustrating for anybody with with half a brain regardless of your political party
0: yeah I agree with you just the just the kind of like the the quotes and the tweets and the all caps and all these things just kind of like from a basic viewpoint of how people view america you know and even like traveling you travel a lot i'm sure you travel internationally like if i were you i'd try to like are you good at accents can you do like an accent you spend time you do like a french accent yeah i was gonna yeah, say you do like a french yeah. accent
1: <laughs> i can't french but i'm definitely canadian when i travel lot. yeah i mean we're 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 a laughing stock uh we just are yeah. I, and you speak speaking about uh you know uh, Lyft or or Uber, those various ride servers there. Every cab I get in, if, you know, there's a conversation about Trump, it's about, you know, when is this going to end? How could you have done this to your country? And yeah, um, it's beyond partisanship. It's actually, I mean, we could talk all day long about the fundamental threat to our democratic institutions that he's posed and how we get that back. And I'm hoping that 2020 regardless of, of who wins, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, I'm hoping that the, the basic rebuilding of our political institutions can start immediately because his, you know, his presidency ideally would last, you know, four years. Um, but the, the damage that he has done to not just, you know, the, the core of our, uh, how we identify as Americans and the divisiveness in the country, but also our, our basic institutions and, and our practices, um, you Know how, how, for example, the president uh, interacts with Congress uh, and the power dynamic yeah. there. The framers, you know, intended Congress to be the most powerful branch, but they've been, you know, the presidency has superseded it with the rise of mass media. But with Donald Trump, I mean, he's, he has taken presidential power, he has bent the Constitution, and we need to mm-hmm. restore it.
0: I absolutely agree with you. And I've been saying all along, and you, as someone who is in 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 the political science world i feel like all political science textbooks need to be thrown out and are going to be rewritten now after this uh this election because i think his approach for winning completely changed the game and i feel like it's exposed some um some uh, it's it's exposed certain aspects of how we have set up democracy um that that obviously allow people to exploit. And I think that that's something that is really going to need to be taken a look at because I look at. uh, So if you look at what's going on worldwide right now, Venezuela is having all sorts of issues with their current election. Congo is having all sorts of issues with their current election. Um, Is America next? Is America going to be another one of these places that we're having upheavals and riots uh, because we just can't have a democratic election? I mean... Maybe.
1: Well, Ryan, my concern is that there aren't actually enough people in the streets, given what happened in 2016. I think, you know, we we don't have the data that we need, but we know that our electoral system was compromised. It was 21% right. had their election systems hacked. We have not done a thorough and complete investigation of the effects of that um, because the, it likely benefited Donald Trump, because it, you know the, the intelligence agencies believe. That these were Russian hacks. Um, we know that that our social media was hacked, for lack of a better term, in yep. a way that affected about a quarter of the population. Um, they they saw things that were intended to sway them um, in support of, of of Donald Trump. So we we have had our system hacked. Um, mm-hmm. Our, the election of 2016 was likely not a democratic election, and so uh, the fact that that we're not taking to the streets, given the, the the knowledge that we have, that's enough to know that and that we're not taking to the streets and demanding an investigation into the 21 states that had their systems hacked. Uh, to me, I, I don't know. It, it seems like that sh- that ship has already sailed. That we're not really holding are you know we're not really holding the system accountable um if if the 2016 election had taken place in another country and we were monitoring it um we would not have have it democratic given what we know now
0: oh absolutely there would have been interventions and i think that um personally i think the the hacks are, are still happening and i know for me um i've seen last week um I, out of nowhere, saw two tweets come through my Twitter feed that were um, kind of pulling up some skeletons of the closet from Kamala Harris, and I had never seen anything like that before. I had never seen any negative ads come out against her. I had never seen anything kind of picking her apart until she, dis- till she announced her presidency, and now all of a sudden my Twitter feed has got negative tweets about a current president uh, presidential candidate, who happens to be female? and if you've I don't seen think that, that's a, it's I don't think yeah, I don't think it's a chance. I don't think that's a coincidence
1: absolutely. And and there it is. If you are seeing that in your feed ads um, and content that you're not sure how it got there, it's being sponsored. It's being paid for by someone. And yeah, there's plenty of evidence that that Russian bots were already heavily involved in the yep. democratic primary. and it's it's disheartening to see. Even though we know this is a problem, and you know, we Cambridge Analytica and the, and the hacking of—not the hacking—I mean, they did it. You know, with Facebook's blessing, got in and um, yeah. likely shifted a lot of opinions. It, it it is scary to think that it is basically right now perfectly legal to go in and manipulate the American public as long as you have enough money to do so.
0: Yeah, and enough Twitter followers. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable. So this current, uh, this upcoming election, we have seen a ton of women throw their hat in the ring and say, "I'm running for president." Um, we have talked a lot about how masculinity has been used a lot by this presidency. What are the chances you th- do you think of a success of a, of a of one of the current candidates running a successful? presidential campaign against the current administration?
1: Well, anytime a woman is running, her chance of being elected is always a lot less. Um, We know because we've had, you know, over 100 women have have run for the presidency, but 12 over the history of our nation have put in a serious bid and all 12 of them have faced the same stumbling blocks and and they get you know different media coverage that focuses on their dress and appearance and romantic relationships as you noted Kamala Harris um that that was the the big push um in recent days to to go after a relationship she had um with another politician years ago um there's also a just a public bias in that we see the presidency as, as I mentioned earlier, this prototypical citizen. And so we see the presidency as being white and we see the presidency as being male. And so anyone who doesn't fit those two criteria ends up um, being seen as not presidential in the minds of millions of Americans. Um, we also have another challenge for female candidates, which is that our our conceptions of leadership are very male, right? And so um, you have, in order to see this presidential, a female candidate has to look, you know, be properly masculine. But then the moment she does that, uh, she's not seen as being feminine enough. She's seen as violating these rules, unspoken rules of femininity. And so as a woman, you're, you're really damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And we know this because while women of different races and different political parties have tried it, and each one has had a, a strong um, you know, polling and electoral bias against her. Um, with that said, the fact that so many ro- women are running in this primary um, is significant. It is the first time in American history where women are normalizing running for the presidency and the more we can make that just a normal thing, whether it's you know lack of women running in a primary or it's seen um, you know female presidents on, on television and entertainment media, the more we can make that normal, uh, the sooner we will actually elect a woman president.
0: Is dinner time super stressful around your house? Well, if so, I highly recommend using Sunbasket meal delivery service. We've been using Sunbasket here at our house for over two years now, and absolutely love it. Uh, they have new recipes coming out all the time. Plus, they allow you to customize your weekly delivering. So, if you are on a certain diet, say you're doing keto, or you, uh, you can also do vegan and gluten-free options. So, head over to Sunbasket.com. It makes dinner time so much easier and so much more fun. All right, here's the conclusion of my interview with Dr. Carolyn Heldman. No. I like what you said about how we need to make it the norm that women are running because right now it's not even a norm that they're running. It's like, oh, good for you. You're gonna you're gonna make a bid for the president. That's that's great, great, really. What are you gonna do when you lose? That's kind of like the backhanded, the backhanded question though, right? It's like it's like good for you for trying, but really, are you? Like, what's your backup plan, you know? Um, well, ahead. it's
1: interesting to see that, that, you know, since the gender gap emerged in 1980, where women vote more Democratic than men, or men, you know, vote more Republican than women, however you want to do that, um, women have actually turned out to vote at higher rates in presidential elections. And so uh, with the coalition that, that Obama built, and by the way, Obama also states. A race penalty when he ran because you have oh, to hit yeah. both criteria, right? Yeah. So he had about, um, according to political science models, he should he he lost about seven percentage points. He still won the presidency, but he should have he should have won it much more comfortably than he did, given all the ec- the economic uh, and political uh, indicators that we put into models. Uh, for a, a woman, it, and especially a woman of color, it's just going to be a double whammy. But if she was, there. she was able to cobble together a coalition of people of color who are energized about her presidency and women uh, who are energized about her presidency then numerically you know she could she could win this thing um, the question is whether or not it would be a free and fair election and also the question the big Question mark is white women, Um, and while more white women voted for Hillary Clinton than they typically do in elections, um, white people vote Republican, and they have for many decades. So, if only white people are voting, you know, we would have had Mitt Romney as president. We would have had John McCain as president. (laughs) Um, Only white people um, vote; a majority vote Republican. So, if if um, you know Kamala Harris, for example, or Elizabeth Warren, or Kristen Gillibrand, uh, could Actually, get white women to support them in larger numbers. That would be the deciding factor in the election.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Well, uh, I think we we live in a very exciting time because Pew Research has come out saying that uh, the Latino population has uh, in in America is now uh, coming up. This next election will have the highest. Uh, percentage of eligible minority voters uh, that the United States has ever seen. We're also seeing a rise in Asian American voters who are going to be eligible by 2018. Uh, and then I think if we um, if we appeal to the because I think I don't want to make I don't want uh, to provide an escape for or uh, for white women who possibly do vote Republican. But I also feel that in certain ch- chi- uh, certain circumstances, there's a lot of familial pressure and a lot of pressure to just vote whatever uh, the husband votes. That's that's kind of what my context when I grew up in in Michigan. Um, I heard that a lot from the, the you know my mom, aunts, other uh, women that I would talk to. It's just well, we're a Republican house, you know. So it's almost like mm-hmm. the women, the women don't really, they didn't have a choice, you know. They didn't really have a a voice, which I think is just sort of ironic uh, as we're talking about giving a woman a voice, uh, the most important voice in our in our country. So I, uh, I think what I think is really important for the 2020 election is, um, is mobilizing folks. And that looks like not just getting out and voting yourself, but like if you live in an area that's especially a low income area, like take five or six people with you to vote, you know, load up your car. Like, let's have people turn out like we did for the, uh, the um, midterms here in California and in and, and, and countrywide when an extra like was like. I don't know how many more millions of people came out um we got to get people to the polls though that's the thing like people have to have to exercise their right and i think I agree with you, I think we're in a time right now where this next election um is really uh is gonna be pivotal for the next ten fifteen, twenty years, not in that not just in that who do we elect but how how are we going to kind of to to use a uh, a nautical ter- uh, analogy how are we going to right the ship how are we going to get back in a time where we're quote unquote making america great again but not in the way that is oppressing people but making america great again in a way that maybe it's never been before maybe just making america great er for now without worrying about like making it great permanently like we got to have it all figured out let's just take a positive step in the right direction with this election And then over the next four years, let's continue to take positive steps. For the next four years, continue to take positive steps, as opposed to doing eight years of Democrat, eight years of Republican, eight years of Democrat, eight years of Republican, where we're basically just on a treadmill going around and around and around in circles.
1: Well, I look forward to having someone else in the office so that we can start that healing work. Um, I I think, you know, going back to impeachment or indictment, I actually think it's really important that the American public have an election in which they vote Donald Trump out. Yeah. Um I think without that, that we don't have, you know, we don't have the public condemning this. Um and Donald Trump is great for voter turnout. He drives mm-hmm. independents and Democrats to vote against him. Um and you know, historic for the modern context in terms of turnout. Um, what happened in 2018 was, you know, above and beyond. And that was inspired by his presidency. So yeah. um I do, I I look forward to 2020 being that repute that is needed to start a national conversation about, um, you know, moving beyond the racism and sexism that so many uh, white men and, and white women are comfortable with.
0: I absolutely agree with you. And I think in terms of accountability, taking a look at consequences for your actions and not just being like, oh, that was bad. Like, let's just pretend that that didn't happen and move on from it, but actually saying like, nope. Let's take a look at this. And even that's been some of the work to tie this all into, my, you know, work for men and masculinity. Like part of, I feel, the journey towards becoming the best version of the man you can be or a person you can be is taking a look at some of the hard things that you've done and taking a look at some of the areas in your life that you might have to experience some consequences. But how are you going to respond from that? What's going to be your rebound? From what you just experienced? Is it going to be more of the same or are you going to do better? And I think that that is something that, um, for me, as I've been moving more towards understanding my own masculinity, that's been that's been a question that I've been asking myself. How am I going to look at my actions, the consequences from my actions, the accountability that's now put on me, and how am I going to be better? And I think we can extend that to the American people in this time right now. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I didn't, I didn't give you time to prepare. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and I apologize for that, but you're so good on the spot. <laughs> you're so good on the spot. Um, and this is, I think a really great time to kind of move into this, uh, sort of, um, the finale of our conversation, sort of our, our, uh, our encore is, uh, I, I, w- one of the things that's really important to me in this podcast is not just understanding, um, other people's view of masculinity, or kind of just talking about masculinity, or even just like getting in the pool, as my wife says, and just kind of like just having a conversation about masculinity. I want to uh, be a resource. I want to provide something that is actually helpful. So when people listen to this podcast, they're not only going to just get great information and they're not going to be exposed to new things, um, they, uh, they're, they're going to walk away going, you know what? That's, I can do that. I can, I can kind of be. Um, that person so I wanted to bring up you've you've written a lot of books you've written uh, the uh, one of the books that you wrote that I wanted to bring up in our conversation uh, was rethinking madam president um, you've written a lot of books on masculinity and media and um, y- you you've really been one who's been in this conversation so I would like to pose the question to you how uh, how how do we uh, either as a culture or individually um, take practical steps to becoming better men? How uh, how would you suggest we do that?
1: Great question. Um, so books are, are certainly an option. Um, I would read anything written by uh, Jackson Katz uh, and also Tony Porter. Um, but I think for a lot of, of young men, you know, reading is maybe not, not the way they will access that information. Uh, and I'll I'll make a pitch again for The Mask Riven, which is the yeah. documentary film available on Netflix and it is life changing. Um we've heard that from um, tens of thousands of young people across the United States and, and also in other countries, um, that it really, it's eye-opening. Um, I would also suggest looking at Justin Baldoni's series on masculinity. He has a web series uh, that looks at this. Um, there is, uh, there are a number of resources online, uh, the Pumundo, uh resources, lots of research on, on men and masculinity there. There. Um, also, Ashanti Branch from the Ever Forward Club um, has a lot of great uh, information and resources if you're struggling with your manhood um, and what that means and how it's you know influencing your life. Um, but I think online is is really the best way, right? The videos, the short form yeah. videos, to really get you thinking about it. And and that would be Justin Baldoni's series and also our documentary film, The Mask You Live In.
0: That's great, and I'll make sure to include both of those in the show notes and. I guess just one tiny follow-up to that. If, if someone is in the space where they're like, I'm ready to approach a conversation about masculinity, um, but are feeling some reservations, um, maybe it's a man who wants to talk with his partner about it, um, and that partner may be a man or a woman. Um, what sort of encouragement would you give that person who? Feels that they're ready to step into that conversation. What encouragement would you give them, and maybe what would be one tip that you would give them as they step into that conversation?
1: Ah, uh, well, and the encouragement would be that it will be life changing for everyone, right? For you and your partner, and I think that that men know that at some level, right? That um, it's not it's not just about being better for their partner; it will also be much better for them and their relationships. Uh, and the advice I would offer is don't do it alone. There's no reason to do it alone as in uh, there are online forums, there are classes, uh, there are people you can speak with. Um, there are Twitter handles you could follow. Mm. For example, the Good Men Project yep. um, is an excellent resource um, on, on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and also there's a little book called uh, About the Me Too Movement um, and what it means for men. Uh, so there's don't do it alone as in know that you have this community of other men uh, who are struggling as you are and have have done a, a lot of research and put together some resources that will be helpful because um, you shouldn't have to do this alone. And, you know, it's something that I think billions of people think they're doing alone and struggling with alone, but really they're not. And when they find out that they're not, um, then the world really opens up for them.
0: I absolutely agree with you. And uh, that's my, one of my main, uh, hopes and dreams for this, uh, for this podcast is that people will find community here. Community is very important to me. I've built pockets of community all throughout Los Angeles. And, uh, I'm looking to build an online community, um, that will, will provide just what you have said for men. So, um, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, encouraging that. I appreciate you encouraging community and, uh, I really just uh, want to thank you for your for your time and, and for coming on the show today. Um, You've shared so much about, you know, what you've personally uh ha- have experienced with this. And uh, I think we've done an awesome job just kind of talking about um what masculinity looks like and how it interacts in certain areas and uh, a little bit of inspiration on how we can be better. And so um, I'm just very thankful for your wisdom and the research that you've done and um, how can we uh, keep in contact with the, the the work that you're doing as you're going to be putting up more things? What are the ways that we can keep, uh, can keep up with you?
1: Uh, my website is com, and I would also encourage uh, folks who are interested to check out the Representation Project. And Ryan, it's really great that you're opening up this space for boys and men, uh, you know, to start this healing process. It, it's amazing. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Heldman. You inspire me with the great work that you're doing. So I encourage you, uh, if you're listening to this episode and you're inspired by what Dr. Carolyn Heldman said, uh, make sure you follow her on Twitter uh, and then also go to her website, drcarolynheldman.com. You can see listings from all of her books. She's written tons of books on politics uh, and gender, and she's written things on representation. Um, she's just really uh, integrated into this work of equality. So um, that's just one arm of what she does. She also has this amazing resource center uh, in New Orleans, and she's working with youth and doing mentoring there for men with all ages, not just youth. So uh, I encourage you to follow along with the work that she's doing. Stay up to date with her work. And uh, there will be more episodes of Whiskey and Rye coming out next week. You will hear part one of my interview with Dr. Carl Totten. Uh, Professor Totten is the founder of the Taoist Institute, and he has also studied Chinese healing and martial arts for over 45 years. He is uh, a licensed clinical and educational psychologist, and he's actually my personal therapist, and him and I have done a lot of work on um, working with your inner child and kind of uncovering your true potential, so I'm so excited to share not only some things that Dr. Carl and I have worked on, but also some of his wisdom and and some of the work that he's done, so uh, be back uh, Monday night's episodes uh, for Whiskey and I are going to be out every Monday, Uh, so come back Monday night to hear part one of my interview with Dr. Carl Totten. Thank you to the Deep West for providing the music for this podcast, and also don't forget to look the show notes where you will find links to dr heldman's website and a couple of links to the things that we talked about you will also see the links to the deep west instagram and all the twitter and instagrams for whiskey and rye pot as well thank you so much to my guest dr carolyn heldman thank you to you for listening to this episode until we meet again i raise a glass to you cheers